And we also have the grief of our loss of community, our loss of normalcy, our loss of work home life boundaries, right? That everything that we're experiencing during this pandemic is related to loss. And how do we attend to that? Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. We spend time today with Melissa Duwear. She's the founder of Whole Person Conversations, where she puts her talents into coaching and counseling to help change corporate culture around a topic that plays such a huge role for all of us today, yet one that we may not give a lot of attention to. Everything we talk about on this podcast centers on tools and advice we can all use to live better and more fulfilling lives, both at work and at home. And of course, it all starts with self-awareness and conversations like the one we're gonna have today. This topic is really charged by the COVID-19 pandemic and the lasting effects that it could have on many of us. But this discussion can also be used in so many other difficulties that we encounter outside of the pandemic. Just a really good one that we've got lined up for you today. So today we're gonna talk about grief, loss, toxic positivity, and how we can create comfort for ourselves and people in the workplace going forward. So happy to have you with us today, Melissa. You have a, you actually have a really interesting story and I've heard a little bit about it, um, about how you ended up where you are today and what you're working on um, in the field of grief. And I'm wondering if you'll just kind of share a little bit of background with us about how this all kind of came to fruition. Well, it is kind of a interesting story. I'm a little bit of a unicorn in that um, I am an ordained minister now jumping into corporate America. Um, that's an interesting straddle, but of course, I think the the big word of 2020 was pivot, right? So I was no longer with the church, um, ended that tenure, and we were moving to Colorado. COVID's hitting, and I'm realizing there is going to be so much loss. This was in March where it's like we didn't know what the death toll was going to be, and I reached out to the community college where I'd been an adjunct professor and said, listen, you have a fragile population of these young adults who might be experiencing death for the first time. I would love to support the faculty and help them attend to this grief that could be, you know, with coworkers, with themselves, with these kids. So I gave a webinar about basically grief, the anatomy of grief and what it's going to look like and what to expect because we know these behaviors and symptoms of it impair performance, right? That you're not able to focus or concentrate. You're not sleeping well, you're not eating well. All of the things that we um, champion for high performance are at risk um, when we're grieving. So I did a webinar there. Um, we moved out to Boulder, Colorado. I was taking a walk with a um, newly found neighbor. She has this amazing company that um, supports 3,700 institutions of higher education and they do online curriculum. I said, would you have any interest in me giving a, a grief webinar because you know I did this for this other community college? She's like, oh, that would be great. And then I started thinking, it's like, well, it's not only colleges, it's companies, it's small businesses. There's all kinds of people that are grieving. Of course, you know, the death tolls racking up every night and the anxiety that goes with that. So it's like, okay, we've, we have all of this real death surrounding us. And we also have the grief of our loss of community, our loss of normalcy, our loss of work home life boundaries, right? That everything that we're experiencing during this pandemic is related to loss. And how do we attend to that? And there was all kinds of information going on about mental health and the increased anxiety and the increase in depression. I'm like, you know what? What are we anxious about? What are we depressed about? Well, anxiety, fear of what we could lose, um, depression, sadness over what we have lost, right? And this inflection point, I'm like, this is all tied to loss. That's the bottom line. And we keep hearing about these other mental health issues. I'm like, what is the elephant in the room? 
behind all these other symptoms. And it is all tied to loss. And in my um, training to become an ordained minister, I took this great grief class and the professor offered us the word bereaved, which means literally to be robbed. Hmm. Like, oh, okay, this is a Western word. When we want to talk about loss and sort of the injustice of this pandemic, let's talk about what we've been robbed of because that seems to be more socially acceptable, right? We have this stigma around grief that it's self-pitying or it's weakness or it's, you know, we're not functioning, right? We just don't like that word culturally. So then I started using this word bereavement to sort of empower the situation and people really cleave to that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna meet people where they are. I'm not affiliated with the church anymore but I really feel like this is something that needs to be attended to for the, for the goodness of all, for the greatest good of, of um, the country, right? And there's an urgency because we are all feeling this collective grief um, and how can I attend to it? So I started reaching out to companies and schools and things like that. And um, actually I, I'm just securing a contract with one of the largest employers in North America. <laughs> to wow. give a webinar and talk to them about the anatomy of grief. And I'm looking for value-based leaders who say, you know what, I want to attend to this because I want my employees to be in the healthiest state of mind that they can be. And the way to grieve um, in a healthy way is to be socially and emotionally supported. We need that from our friends, we need that from our family, and we absolutely need that from our coworkers. Um, and so how do, how do we do that? How do we get people comfortable in these kind of conversations, right? This is a difficult conversation that most people um, aren't comfortable with. And one of the side effects of grief, many people will tell you the people that I thought were going to be there weren't. But then there's always these magic people who show up for us because they've experienced it and they help us through. Um, we need to make these kind of conversations normalized. And it's not an isolated type of thing, right? 100% of us are going to experience grief because we're connected, we're connected to everyone. And right now the workplace is really saturated in grief because let's say, let's round up to 600,000 COVID deaths. The statistic that they're using is there's um, a factor of nine survivors per death. Do the math. Oh, wow. Yeah. Five and a half million people actively grieving. And the other issue that came up with COVID is we're not getting the normal grief process, the mourning process, which are the, the actual verb of how we grieve. Grieve is, grief is a state of mind and mourning are the actions we do when we are grieving. So the funeral rituals, um, sitting Shiva, the, the social memorials, right? The exchanging of stories. This is all part of the mourning, um, the burial. Um, and that wasn't happening because of the restrictions. So people weren't getting their closure on grief. And that's why experts are saying we're going to have the second wave of grief, because now as we're coming up and out of the pandemic, we have to go back and revisit the things that were not attended to. And so if you lost a spouse, you know grief in the context of the past year in the pandemic, but you don't know grief in the greater world mm. and what it's like to go to the restaurant and have the spare chair and mm. how the world will relate to you because grief impacts all of our relationships, starting with ourself. How do I identify? Oh, I've been married 30 years. Guess what? I'm now a widow and I've never had to say that. I've never had to speak that. I've never had to experience that in this greater open world. And so we're going to see this kind of compounding grief in, in the upcoming days as we open up. That's fascinating. I would, I would have never thought of that. And, and thank you for, I don't know, connecting those dots that as we come out, there's going to be some new things for us, you know, and I think, you know, you, you keep touching on this idea of when we talk about grief, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is death right? Mm -hmm. and death of a loved one. Uh, but I, I think you're, you're, you're subtly saying there, there's much more to it. You know, you talk about losing our commute or something like that as being something that we might have grief for as well. Tara and I both work at the university and I watched my senior undergraduate students um, basically have their, 
their whole senior year stolen from mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to that? I mean, how do we deal with that? really unfair you know it really it's been taken from us and it feels very unfair mm-hmm. and how do we how do we process that is that a maybe that's a long answer i don't know well it, it's not a, it's not a long answer and the most important thing is to acknowledge it so i have um a daughter who is gra- who graduated from high school in 2020 right they're going to be this infinite infamous class um and we did everything wrong while we were going through that. Um, her her older siblings came home from college. And of course, you know, it was devastating. And then they lost their friends and they couldn't party anymore and all these types of things. And so I had all these children sort of competing for whose situation was worse, right? Who had been robbed of more things. And that ended with, you know, doors slamming as exclamation <laughs> points. Um, but we, we did it wrong because she was upset about losing prom right? We had the date, we had the dress, we had all of these things except for the prom. And we're sitting in the kitchen and we're minimizing it saying, it's no big deal. Prom is over- overrated. You'll have other occasions to get dressed up. It's just not that big a deal. She's like, I want to know and have the experience that it's not a big deal, that it's overrated. That's fair. That's mm. fair. And, right. She wanted that experience. So, you know, nine months later, my husband and I are talking about like, we really did He's like, you're a grief person. You're supposed to know how to listen to people. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, you're you're 100% correct. We absolutely minimize the loss that she was experiencing, right? If someone loses a pet, you know, they have two dogs, one dies. It's like, oh, you have another one, right? We say these horrible things by n- and 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 don't mean to, but we need to attend to the actual loss. It might not be a big deal to us, but it's a big deal to them. And so I think to your point, like these, this class, we have to say, you're right. You lost your graduation and name it. And they will feel validated. It's mm-hmm. they're resilient. They can get past it. But if we minimize it, there's no, there, it doesn't get healed, right? It doesn't get named. Therefore you can't heal it. And that's a big part of the sort of the anatomy of grief is just being able to name what was lost. When someone dies, we lose the relationship. We lose the status. We might even lose things like food security and housing security, right? All of these things matter. It's just not the death of the person. It's how we connect with them in every aspect. And that's how it is for our kids with these, we call them non-overt losses, anything that's not tied connectly to a death. Um, And there's another name is disenfranchised grief, which um, often gets referred to like um, with the death of a suicide because it's not socially acceptable to talk about that. We're not sure how people feel about that. And I think that that's a lot of what the kids, the young adults have been experiencing, right? We think it's, oh, you know, you don't have a trombone recital. Well, no big deal. We have Thursday night free. But to them, if they've been practicing and playing, it is a big loss to them, right? An opportunity to perform. And that becomes disenfranchised because we don't honor it. We don't name it. We don't address it. All right. So if we acknowledge it, is, is, is part of that acknowledgement a little bit of and Tara knows I like to do this. Is, is can I whine a little bit? Can I please, can I say you know please. what this isn't say <laughs> this isn't fair and and I want to stomp my feet and I don't know have a fit for a little while. I mean what, what's your what's your response yes, to that? Yes, is that, do is it. that good? Is that healthy? That, is that something absolutely. we should do? It's a hundred percent what you should do because we all um, are caught up in this sort of toxic positivity of just like being mm. grateful for everything. It's like well look on the other. Um, side of this and turn the other cheek and well you know at least you're not a starving child in Africa right and that goes back to that minimizing what they're experiencing we only have our own reality and if the reality is that you've been practicing for four and a half months on this one musical piece and now you don't get to perform it it feels like you've wasted a lot of effort right and that's real and you should be upset about it that is that is a completely appropriate emotional response to losing something that you've worked hard for. Now, the issue with these air quote negative emotions is not having them. You absolutely should have them, right? That's, that's a way of um, 
understanding what you're processing and we need to be able to name those. The issue comes in getting stuck in those emotions. Mm. If you're throwing a temper tantrum about your trombone concert six months from now, that's probably not proportionately appropriate. But if you're ticked off for an hour and, and need to take a walk around the block or want to throw down and have an ugly cry, that that's completely appropriate. So we need to make sure that we let people emote in the moment and where they are and beyond as appropriate. That's, See, there's nothing wrong with that. Tara, I get, I, get, I get a little time to whine. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm making more space for you and you're whining now <laughs> after hearing from Melissa. <laughs> uh, I love that you're normalizing this because you're right. We live in a cult in a in a culture, um, especially where the three of us live, I think, in in Boulder, Colorado, where we focus all of our energy or we try on the cultural uh, norm of be grateful, find gratitude. You know, it's not about whining, be positive, look at the positive, ignore the negative. And it's interesting to hear from you with your background in grief that it's like, no, we've got to work through that grief by feeling it, whining about it and moving, you know, moving through. Is this like the five stages uh, of grief? Is that kind of where you're headed or no? Well, actually, uh, um, no. Okay. <laughs> we, have, we have all completely moved away from the stages of grief because that suggests a linear process mm. where first you're in denial and then you're angry and then you're in acceptance, right? We, we don't want to do that because um, it gives this false idea that there's this normal straight line trajectory and grief is nonlinear and multidimensional. So you will experience grief based on the relationship of what you're grieving. If it's a person or an experience, you will um, grieve based on your past experiences, where you are in the moment and your future anticipation, right? If you've lost that dream that comes with the loss of this person, that will be different. Your um, relationship with self, family, community, and then you get into this existential thing, the cosmos, right? Like, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Um, it becomes this very spiritual kind of journey um, about mortality and what does life even mean and being angry at God or, you know, all these types of things start playing into it. It's also the rhythm of your life gets disrupted, right? Things that you normally do, like COVID, we were talked about the loss of the commute. And what that means, if you've lost a half an hour of your personal free space time where you were in the car by yourself, you listened to your podcast, you had your coffee, you centered before you walked, you know, into the chaos of the office from the chaos of home. When you lose that, that's significant. That was your mindfulness space, right? So you have all these kind of four dimensional things happening and you just don't know what's going to hit when right? We brace. If you've lost your mom, you brace for Mother's Day. You know, you just grit through it. You bite your teeth, you bite your lip and just say, okay, I can move through this. It's the random Thursday afternoon when you're going through her closet and you find the grocery list in her pocket that will just knock you to your knees mm. and you do the big ugly cry because guess what? That was the last time she had you over for dinner, right? It's something like that. It's these kind of um, uh, benign um, types of reminders that really take us out. So yeah, it's not linear. There's not a stage to it. Um, and it's not that I'm saying don't be grateful <laughs> for sure. It, it, it's, it's a huge part of, of the healing process and making meaning, right? So um, Warden, who's one of my favorite um, grief theorists, talks about like, you need to name it, you need to accept it. Then we do this processing where it's all the emotions, all the behaviors, all the symptoms. And then we get to a point and this can come in and out of like making meaning. So when I lost my mom, you know, 15 years ago um, to commemorate her birthday, six months after she died, I ran six miles. Wow. Right. But I was still processing, but I was making meaning and I wanted to commemorate. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, I have been given this healthy body and the best way to honor her life is to respect this healthy body and use it and take care of it, right? So there's an example of like the commemorating, the meaning making and the processing all coming together. So it's not linear, it's kind of jagged and it, and it 
um, comes together and it meshes at different times through different experiences. I appreciate, I appreciate you say that, that it's not linear. I, I helped a, a couple of my friends in, in the last year and a half go through the painful process of a divorce. And, and I remember one of my friends who's probably listening right now, but, uh, she said she got frustrated because she felt like she had made this great progress. And then all of a sudden she was like, I'm back to where I was before. And, mm-hmm. and she goes, well, why am I going backwards? And so that was just a normal grieving process, right? Of her 100%. not following a linear path. Right. And spiraling, right? There can be triggers and particularly with divorce, right? There's, there's different things that happen in that trigger, things that were supposed to be security and comfort. And then realizing that you don't have that foundation anymore is, is huge. So, so let me ask you this, Melissa. So anybody that's been through this will know that processing that you talk about is hard. It's painful. It's hard, difficult work. Why don't I just avoid that and skip right over it? What would you say to that? Well, you sure can. And you'll probably, <laughs> a lot of people do. You'll skip right over it. You'll skip yourself right over to the liquor store. Yes. And, um, yeah, yeah. Or uh, sometimes the dessert counter in my case. Um, there's That's where we get into the sort of the self-soothing and self-comforting mm. and unhealthy behaviors. That's where substance abuse comes into play. That's where addiction comes into play. That's where bad life choices come into play. We become higher risk takers. Um, And what that is, it's just burying the emotion. And we're capable of doing this because sometimes we have to compartmentalize. And and so we shove it under the rug and it stays there. But under the rug, while we're not looking, it's growing. And it's growing in all different directions. And every direction, it's growing a new set of teeth. (laughs) And so at some point, it will come up under the rug, out the edges, and bite you when you least expect it. Um, it's, there's just no way around it there. You cannot deny and hide the issues that it brings up and, and death or divorce or illness. They all bring up a lot of issues that are just below the surface. And when we're not grieving, we can keep things that are bothering us just below the surface. Right. But the waterline keeps, keeps rising. We we can call it the grief monster, the grief monster. And, and then when you are grieving, you no longer have the ability to suppress that stuff, right? The bad Mm -hmm. relationship that you don't want to deal with. Now with grief, everything just comes busting through. Anything that was just thinly held below the surface will bust through because you don't have the wherewithal or the ability to, to contain it anymore. And that's why you see a lot of times people who are going through um, grief with a significant relationship, like a parent or something, they're recognizing their own mortality and reevaluating their life because guess what? They're mortal, right? So I did the, the story problem with my mom was she was 63 when she died of breast cancer. I was 36. If I die of the same fate, I have 27 years left to live. Mm, right. And am I on track to live the best life? And am I in line with my soul's intention, right? My destiny. And there were a lot of issues. I got rid of a lot of toxic friendships, right? Like I just, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, and I think there was the beginnings of the cracks in my marriage and relationship, you know, who's emotionally available, who's not, um, sort of career issues. What did I want to do with myself? And, you know, that all rolled into getting into the ministry when my mom died by, by asking for grief support and becoming a Stephen minister and then walking with other people in grief until it finally led me to, to the ministry ordained ministry. So a lot of, a lot of my career and, um, mindfulness has come from losses, right? There's, there's a lot of gold in there if you do the work. And this is your, and I, I see it on your website. This is your concept. I think you're talking about moving from a culture of grief aversion, right? Mm-hmm. Moving out of that and into yes. something else. And I know we want to dig in on what you're doing uh, inside of the workplaces mm-hmm. and with leaders and with uh, their people. But I, I first want to ask you about the second wave and your your thought process okay. around that. Because what brings to my mind is uh, I'm out just last evening having a dinner meeting and I walk into a restaurant with my mask still on, right? And no one in the restaurant, and it is packed. There's no more six feet of spacing, social distancing. It is packed. 
and I am the only person in this restaurant with a mask on. I was on. laughing at it. He was <laughs> laughing at me. Yeah. And I, wasn't. I my I'll be honest, what I felt from this was confusion and I almost want to say a little bit of grief of of in some sort because I'm thinking did the 15 months of COVID ever even happen? Like people are just mm -hmm. back to normal, talking about normal things, doing normal things, eating and drinking and having a good time, almost like nothing ever happened. And mm -hmm. I've heard this from a few other people. Do you, you talk about the second wave. What are we looking at with that? If, if we do just go right back to normal in theory? Well, it's going to manifest, right? This is like the roaring twenties, right? We're oh. just all going to come out and lose our minds. <laughs> and so the danger in that is that we're not going to attend to the grief that we put off during the pandemic. And this yeah. is where it's going to be under the rug and manifest unless we say, listen, we got to talk about this, right? Like everything that happened, I thought I was losing my mind during the pandemic and we need to talk about it. We need to name it and then we can move on. And that's where my fear is that um, we're just going to jump right out of it and not acknowledge it. Now there's some people who can do that because they just felt bottled up and the impact of it wasn't significant. But for those people who are connected to people that have died, hmm. their life is turned upside down. And there, there's going to be this, I think, a chasm between the haves and the have nots, right? Of who lost something during COVID and who did not. And then that even gets tied into DEI types of issues because disproportionately the number of people that we've lost were people of color and on the front lines and they're given the least amount of leave time and bereavement because they're hourly employees without benefits to get mental health care. I mean, this is, this is a tangled web that I think will impact the workplace for a long time um, based on who will be arriving to work. And they might be there in the, as a, as a shell of a person, but mm. might not be connected in their mind. And I'm very much worried about um, these college kids that we were talking about, the class of 2020, um, the seniors that graduated from college and weren't able to get the job last year. And now they're competing this year with the class of 2021. Who are they going to be as employees one, two, three, or four years from now? Right. We're, we're, we've talked a little bit about um, dealing with the millennials and how to manage them differently in the leadership skills. The next wave of employees in the pipeline are going to have some tender spots that need to be dealt with. And I think, you know, um, it's not going to be happening at schools. It's not going to be happening at churches, right? Like I think 52% of people in the country are no longer affiliated with faith organizations where grief was once attended to. It's going to be in the workplace. That's where people are. It's just where they are. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad you brought that up because we were just talking about this as we were prepping for the show is, you know, we've already touched on the idea of processing. That's hard. Most, you know, not most, but some people are going to try to avoid that. Number one, because it's hard. But I think number two, we don't know how to do it. We don't know. How, nobody's ever taught us how to do this. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right. We were talking about, you know, um, you know, religion or at least a, an affiliation with religion is is down. But but other things like, you know, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, those kind of organizations are down as well. And so there, there's a lot of these social networks that that maybe 50 years ago were prevalent that may have taught you these skills. But I don't mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe the church did, but I don't know if the Boy Scouts did. But so I think this is a perfect, this is perfect messaging for you, Melissa, that I don't know how to do this. I was never taught how to do this. Maybe Tara was, uh, you know, my friends that have gone through divorce, they weren't taught how to do that. So how do we, how do we learn how to do this in a healthy way? Well, I think it's the people that have experienced something need uh, experience loss or divorce. You know, it's the pay it forward, talk about it, normalize it. It's, it's something that we're all going to experience. And depending on how um, the loss of our grandparent was handled by our parents mm. um, is modeled, right? We sort of absorb by, by um, observation and modeling how to handle or not handle our grief, how to handle or not handle our emotions, right? These are inherent to the family dynamics and the family systems models that we have. It's a matter of whether or not we're affiliated with communities 
like you were saying, the scouts or something like that, where um, they might not have taught you how to grief, but you felt held in community that if something happened, you were supported with casseroles and families and they acknowledged it with cards. Um, there's our kind of isolated culture to begin with, right? We're removed from extended family. So we don't have that family support system any longer. Um, we have to be courageous in stepping out and saying, I hear you and I see you. And if people are feeling socially and emotionally supported, they will get through it. The danger comes in this isolation, right? Because nature, nature will fill a, um, a void with misinformation or lack of support or loneliness, right? Like in that spiraling effect of being isolated and the world is moving on without you is um, where the damage happens, where the unhealthiness of, of the grief occurs. It's in the isolation. And there's a juxtaposition here because people who are grieving tend to self-isolate and it takes a friend to say, I'm with you. And what I call that, and many people do is the ministry of presence. Can we be with a friend and sit there and hold the space and just say, I'm here. I'm here. You don't need to entertain me. We're going to, you know, share a blanket on the couch. I'm going to read the magazine and I'll get you a cup of hot tea. I am here. And what and does then, that, Oh, sorry. Oh no. I was going to say, what does that provide psychologically? Psychologically that that is complete comfort that you eliminate the isolation. It's the presence. And I think a lot of people avoid grieving people because they feel the pressure to mm. um, say something that's going to make them feel better. And if you've lost someone, you understand that no one can bring that person back, mm. right? No one can fix your divorce. You don't have that expectation, but people put it on themselves. And I think that's a cultural type of thing too, that I need to be a fixer. I mm. need to come in here, make this better for you. And you don't, you just need, I just need to know you're here. I'm so glad you said that because I was like, you know, I, I don't want to generalize, but men, you know, men like to be fixers, me mm -hmm. included. And I think one of the things that's been beneficial for me, and I'm still a work in progress, but to say, I don't need to fix this. Not only do I not need to fix it, but trying to fix it actually makes it worse. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important message for anybody that's a fixer, whether you're a man or a woman, yeah. where you're like, you know, this is a problem. I got to fix it. That's not what's needed in this situation. And I've been through this where I lost somebody that was close to me and people said things to me. I know their heart was in the right place. They were trying to fix it and it came across so insensitive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the fears. So people will just avoid the grieving because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing, even though their heart's in the right place. And we, we can, we could probably do a whole show on just what to say and not to say, yeah. um, but understand that you don't need to fix it. And that was right. The example I gave of my daughter's prom, we were trying to dismiss it, make it feel better instead of just listening to what her issue was. Um, and that that's where the, the danger is in, in not, not hearing people. This is where we need to dig in because this I think is a very important topic going forward for people in the workplaces, right? We talk about the future of work and this fits very, very um, directly into it, but it is so new um, about opening space like this for your employees, because this is not what employers are, are, are used to doing. And you will get a lot of pushback. I, I, I typically want to say from the older generations, the Gen X or the baby boomers, but I could be wrong in that they'll say, this is not my job. My job is to produce a product, to make money for the company, to hire, to fire, and to make sure people are doing their work. It is not to hold space for grief. Right. And, um, but I will say uh, back to what you said earlier about the younger generation going into the workplace, I've heard from my students at the university, they say, you know what, I've got three job interviews this week. And my first question is, how did you treat your people and how did you take care of their mental health during the pandemic? And I'm like, wow, good for you guys. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. But that's companies have to adapt and change. Um, because Gen Z is the largest uh, group going into the workforce. How do we make that space? If you're coaching a group of leaders that say, okay, we see the value. We have no idea how to do that, Melissa. 
And how do we start? How do we do it and not feel super uncomfortable? Right. So we have to have um, a moment of personal introspection. What are our past experiences and why are we uncomfortable? And own it. Right. So we know that great leaders, compassionate leaders own their vulnerability Mm. and takes a lot of courage. But you can share that story and say, this is hard. And I know we're all going through a lot. I'm not comfortable with it, but I'll be here for you. That's it. And you can be compassionate and listen to someone's grief without prying, right? Remember, we're not trying to fix it. This is not psychotherapy, but recognizing it. That's the most important thing. It's like, I am sorry you lost your mom. That is a significant loss. And I am sorry. When we lose that primary nurturer, it changes who we are. The world looks different. You don't need to fix it, but you can you know, honestly name what they're going through, right? And I, I want to push back a little bit on what you said, like, and it, because people always say this, that's not my job, right? Right. Anytime you hear that in a workplace, you're like, okay, not a team player, not my job. Okay, well, your job as any kind of leader in an organization a company is to take care of your employees because they are your number one greatest asset. And so don't tell me that you're not going to take care of your employees because you're not going to have employee retention and there's a big fight on for talent. So if you don't take care of them, they're leaving. I mean, this is a bottom line issue as much as we want to talk about the compassion of it, because if you're not taking care of them, they will um, no longer trust the organization. You'll lose their respect and, and their engagement and they're out the door. Um, so this is a high stakes kind of game. So first of all, as a manager, own your relationship with grief, your experiences, your inexperiences, and share that and say, this is what we're going to do, right? We're going to start the meeting with um, a two minute check-in, name your emotion. Here's two emotions. I'm um, irritable and tired. I am sleep deprived and hungry, right? You need to know as a leader what you're working with, right? You want to know what medium you have. Are are we painting with acrylics or squeezing Play-Doh today? You need to know what you have sitting at the table. And I always think it's a great time investment, right? It's proactive to understand who's coming to the table with what. Um, So identifying that. And then what does that look like? Can we have the conversation? Can we hold a presence? And can we reach a compromise in your grief process? Where are you? How does this feel? We have this big project coming up. Who can we collaborate with? Who can we not collaborate with? Can you, can I count on you this afternoon, right? We have the ability to pull it together for short amounts of time, right? The four hours to just cut everything out. It's, we can't do that for four months or four years, right? But it's just like, if as a boss, I really need you right here for this time, let's get through this presentation. And then I want you to take three days off, right? Mm. Seeing in that stake. Um, and I also think it's really important and it maybe it's foreign, but we don't check our humanity at the door when we get a job title. We are humans before we are employees right? We are relational, connected people. And I think that value-based companies, and there's going to be a greater need for them to recognize that we are more than just our jobs. And if you want me to do my best job, recognize my humanity, recognize my pain, recognize my joy, and let's all meet. And I want to celebrate your joy and I want to honor your pain, right? So it comes down to respect in a workplace. And there, there are companies that say, I I don't care. Like this is the job nine to five. I don't want to give fluid um, bereavement leave because people take advantage of it. Okay. If your employees are taking advantage of leave, it's because you haven't given them enough someplace else, but most people want to be productive. They want to be engaged. They want to be with their community. They want to have success, you know, but this idea of your employees exploiting the situation, then you got bigger problems. What I'm seeing is those who are value-based leaders, like the best thing I can do is take care of this person. And I've talked with many, many people who've had positive grief experiences with their employees, and they will sing the praises of this workplace 
till their dying day because you never forget who was there for you. And you also never forget who wasn't. That mm, manager so who true. didn't <laughs> honor it and was a real jackass through this, you'll never forget. You'll never forget who they were. Wow. So Thank as, you. As, as, as a leader, as a manager, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's great. It reminds me of a story. But before I get to my story, uh, thank you for taking me back about 45 years in my life. And you said squeezing Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good times. If it, I think Play-Doh's still around, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the, the kids nowadays play with Play-Doh as well. You know, I was thinking of a time when, when I was in the corporate world and working as an engineer and my first dog. Um, within about 24 hours really went downhill and I had to, I had to put her down and it was obviously any, you know, pet owner knows that's a, that's a tough day. It's not a person, but, but it, mm -hmm. it's a pretty big deal. And I came, I, I basically came into the office and I told my manager, Hey, this just caught me unexpected. It happened quickly. Um, I will come into the office, but I'm going to be useless. Um, and I said that to him and he said, you take as much time as you need. I'll take care of it on my end. You don't have to put in any kind of vacation, leave slip or anything like that. He goes, when you're ready, come back. And I felt like, I mean, he was going to bat for me and, and he was, he was, I don't know. He was there for me. Kind of yeah. going back to your, your story. And I would have done anything for that manager. I mean, it still gets me a little teary eyed when I talk about it because I thought it was such a touching gesture and I, it didn't cost him anything, mm -mm. you know? Didn't cost him anything, but he had my loyalty for as long as he was my manager. And I think leaders, I think they missed that message of mm -hmm. you go to bat for somebody and treat them as a human. Like you said, you know, this idea of if, if, if you're coming to me, Melissa, and you're pitching this to me. And if my response to you is tell me how this is going to affect the bottom line, how is this going to make me richer? I'm like, man, we're missing, we're missing the message here. This should be about people, not about the bottom line. But we're, that's what we hear, right? When you go into pitch your services, you probably hear that. How is this gonna? How is this gonna help me make more money? And I don't know. Well, but to I, me, that's sad. Yeah, um, I'm not even having conversations with people that ask that, right? Like I've done my vetting. It's like I know that you're a value-based company and you okay, take great okay. care of your employees. Because why? Why you know shout into sure, a black sure. hole? You can't change that culture. Um, but there are ways to quantify this. This is pre-pandemic. Um, Sherm offered the statistic that $75 billion a year was lost in productivity due to grief-related situations, death, divorce. Wow, illness. that's with a B, billion. Uh, B, and that's pre-pandemic. Wow. Right? When we know that the death rate is, you know, three times the average at this point. So, yeah, this is this is a big deal. And what we're finding, I'm sure you talked to lots of people about this with the idea of um, employee retention, mm -hmm. and loyalty, yeah. and respect. And, you know, to your story, you just never forget who was there. And I would like companies to do it because it's the right thing to do and recognize the humanity of their employees. But if that doesn't work for you, there's yeah. a quantifiable difference here. Yeah. Oh, right. by the way, it will make you more it will. money too. It will. But that and shouldn't be the that. primary driver. Yeah. Yeah. You, we I mean, we hear this a lot because the the big word right now is is productivity. Actually, it's loss of productivity um, and motivation, and that's where Ron and I really spend a lot of time with our trainings is motivation and burnout because mm -hmm. this is on the minds of everyone, and no one knows how to fix it. Uh, it's it's really powerful to hear that one of the fixes to motivation and burnout is to acknowledge and create space for grief. And in the midst of doing that, I mean, I, I love your exercise. Um, I do it in so many different realms, especially with family. When family, when we get together after not seeing each other for a while, it's like, how's everybody feeling? Because I really want to know what you're bringing, like you said, to the table. So that if you snap at me, I don't snap back because I know you had a tough day. So what is that to me that's building empathy? Um, we're all sitting around the work table building empathy for each other, which is, you know, an amazing uh, thing that leaders can, can provide um, to build trust and respect. But what do you say to value-based leaders that get this, but they're still not too sure about holding space for grief and affect it, how that affects productivity. Can you just kind of draw the bridge for me of 
when you do this with your employees, here's potentially how that can help with them during their workday, whether they're working from home or at work. So I'm like, oh, now I get it. Right, right. Well, we know the number one indicator in people grieving in a healthy way is if they are socially and emotionally supported. Be there it is. That socially <laughs> and emotionally supports the employee. There you go. Full stop. Um, and it, it, it's the other thing that um, I've learned through different um, venues and relationships, but now my husband and I are trying to make this a, a practice is, am I... When, when one of us comes in the door and we're like, blah, 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 it's like, okay, quick time out. Am I fixing or are you venting? Oh, nice. Do you, do you need me to fix or are you venting? I'm like, I'm venting. He's like, okay. Okay. And then he just nods his head, doesn't say anything here. Oh yeah. Oh, that sucks. Oh man. Oh yeah, absolutely. You were right. They were wrong. Right. 100%. But then if it's like, okay, I need a solution to this help me collaborate. And now you are free to interrupt with clarifying questions. Don't do that when I'm venting. Right. So I think (laughs) managers can also use any relationship can use that um, technique, right? When the kids come home from school or if your coworker is just like, you really said that? No, I didn't really say that, you know, (laughs) this is like that clarification. Um, So that's another tip. And I think that it really is just relationally based you know, what is the relationship that you want to have within your workspace? And it needs to be based in respect. Um, and I think that's where you'll, you'll get more positive growth and it will be more comfortable for you as a manager. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going into workplaces and I'm talking to the managers saying, you know, what is your experience with this? What are the, the hangups that you fear in having these conversations? And mm. how can we sort of work through that? What's going to make it more comfortable um, for you to have that conversation. I think just permission of, you don't need to fix anything. You just need to give the space to let the venting happen and respect. It's like, that's the loss, go home, right? You just got a phone call, yeah, your dad died, you need to go home. Or yeah. better yet, can we have someone drive you home? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Right, like just, it's really about thoughtfulness um, and being, being the best person that you can be. And as you said, Ron, like kindness doesn't cost anything. Right. No, it doesn't. You know, in, instead of just jumping in, just like take a beat, think about it. How can I be helpful? I think another great thing to do as a friend or a manager with someone who is grieving, anticipate their needs because they don't always know. Yeah. You know, it's like, what can I do for you? They're like, I I don't know. What day is it? You know, the time is so distorted. They can't remember if they ate or if they didn't eat. Like, you don't, it doesn't even have to be a home cooked meal, right? It can be something from the deli, but bring it, sit there with them and just check in. And if they won't answer the phone, leave a note, put it in their mailbox with, you know, a couple of fresh flowers. Nice. That's awesome. it It just doesn't take much to make people feel appreciated and needed and held. And that's what we're looking for. These are really simple things. This is not, this is not rocket science. Yeah. It speaks to, I know, I know Tara would be right here with, it speaks to both of us. And I also hear, I hear echoes of Brene Brown and a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff oh, that you sure. say, uh, who we both love. So that, that's awesome. So we can keep going forever on this. This is a, a, such a fun topic, but let's, uh, Melissa, let's, as we wind down the podcast, how can people, because you know, everybody's going, Melissa's so awesome. I want to work <laughs> m- with Melissa. How do, how do yeah. they get in touch with you? Um, my website is probably the best way, which is whole person conversations with an S.com. Um, and there's connections you can email or, um, I have a business line that you can call in and, you know, I'm always happy to um, consult with you based on your specific business needs. If you're a small company, large company, what kind of format, hopefully in person soon um, and sort of work through this so that we can bring the healthiest work environment to situations of loss. And I, I would add Tara burnout, right? What burnout is from what? losing some kind of control, right? Between the work-life balance. Again, you can find loss in all these topics. 
Yes. So if you are experiencing burnout, not only, I mean, this isn't just for your employees, this is for leaders in general. I mean, they're not, uh, I mean, they're just as susceptible to it as well. But if you or your, your people are experiencing that, this is a great place to start. Uh, a, a tool to add to your toolbox. So we'll put all of Melissa's contact information in the show notes. You can grab them there. And Melissa, our last question for you is, uh, it's a heavy one, but you know what? I think you're up for it. Uh, <laughs> I think let's so. talk about failure. What is your biggest failure? Uh, if you're willing to share with us and um, maybe what you've learned from it or what you would share with the people listening about it. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, a, an accumulation of types of things, right? That now that I'm at this ripe age of almost 52, which I think I mentioned means I'm finally playing with a full deck, is that I did not believe in myself. I was, you know, um, had that gender stereotype being raised as a young woman in the 70s. And I was raised to get married and be a teacher and do all of the things that my first gen college educated parents did, right? There is a formula to what success was going to be and what lifestyle was going to be. And I just didn't dig deep enough, aim high enough. And so it was a failure to believe in myself. And there is something so beautiful about cracking 50 and just not caring anymore. I feel so called to spreading this message about grief that I can't not, right? Double negatives here. It, there's such an urgency and such a need. I am throwing myself out there and networking. If somebody says no, then they say, say no, right? I'm not any worse off. So I keep taking more risks and believing in myself and just knowing I'm on the right path because the universe is opening. I would say that a lot of times um, some of the mistakes I would make were pushing against the universe, right? When there was roadblocks or red flags and, and driving through them when I should not have. And this I know is so right because the path is clear and it just keeps opening up and there's so much abundance. And I keep stumbling onto like terrific people like you and Ron who are saying, yes, we hear you, we believe you and this is gonna make the world better, right? And there's just so much satisfaction and it, it came from believing in myself. I've been at this, this venture, right? I've been dealing with grief for 15 years. Um, on all different levels, but this venture of, of four months, and now it is just exploding because of the need and my belief and faith in myself to get this message out. So um, courage is rewarded. It really is. It really is. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, Let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.